Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, do you, why are you per persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are per persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we start our new series on the Apostle Paul. Um, and some of you will be reading along with Adam Hamilton's books and going through Sunday school and... Um, I'm going to do my own thing a little bit. I figure those bo the book in the Sunday School goes chronologically through Paul, and I would rather take my sermon time to answer some questions that, that a lot of times people have about Paul. And so today I'm just going to do kind of an overview of Paul. Big picture, who is Paul, and hopefully it'll help you as you're learning about all these little cities and little journeys to have a big picture about who he was. Um, last summer, I read a book just called Paul, a biography uh, by a guy named N.T. Wright. And so in the last year, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Paul and who he was. And, uh, not everybody likes Paul. In fact, I'm going to do a sermon subtitled basically, Was Paul a Jerk? And we're going to just wrestle with all the stuff that people don't like about what Paul said. Uh, but for today... Let's just get a short crash course on the life and thinking of Paul as I understand him. To begin with, we need to understand that Paul was a complicated guy. He was a man of contrasts. In fact, here's how Paul describes himself in Acts chapter 22. Uh, he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that's Jerusalem, Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous, important word we'll come back to, for God, as all of you are this day. So Paul's this man of contrasts, and, and we need to understand this, because it makes him a very complicated sort of figure to understand. First of all, he was a Jew and a Roman. He was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. Now, the Romans ruled over the Jews, but sometimes people could have status in both. Okay? You could be part of the, the smaller nation, but also part of the bigger nation. And normally it was a place of privilege and came from a special family. 
often you would have two names. You'd have your Jewish name and you'd have your Roman name. And for Paul, that's the case. There's this sort of false narrative that says, well, he was Saul, and then he gets converted and becomes Paul. But that's not in the Bible at all. More likely, Paul had two names. He was Saul when he was around the Jews, and he was Paul when he was out in the Roman world. And when we first meet Paul, he's around the Jews, so they call him Saul. And as he travels more, he goes by Paul. So he, he's both. He is Roman and he's Jewish. And both of those things come into play when you read Paul. Paul was also a Pharisee, but he was living in what was called the Diaspora. Okay? Now we have a lot of misconceptions. Let's take these both in turn. We have a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a Pharisee. We tend to think, well, they're legalists, right? And, and because of some of the portrayal in the gospel, that's what we get. Um, but that's, that's kind of painting with a really broad brush that I don't think does justice to who the Pharisees really were. At the time of Jesus, there were all kinds of discussions and all kinds of debate about what was Israel's status with God. Okay, we were in the exile, but we got to come back. But now, here we are hundreds of years later, we're still under the rule of the Romans. So what happened to us? I thought we were God's chosen people. How do we relate to the Romans? And, and so there was a lot of debate. And some people thought, well, we just need to get back to the scriptures and get back to the Torah. Some people thought, well, no, we need more instructions than the Torah. Some people thought we needed to really work towards the temple. But some groups like the Pharisees said, well, the temple is so corrupt and it's so connected with the Roman authority that maybe we should be away from the temple. Maybe it's not about the temple. In the time of Jesus, we sort of missed this. This was a, a, an amazing temple that Herod had made really beautiful. And uh, Herod was not always a very good guy. So there was a lot of debate. Should we be a part of the temple or not? We hear in the Bible about different groups. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, the Zealots. All these different groups had different ideas about all of this. And, and I'm not going to try to tell you all of them. But understand this about the Pharisees. They were a pretty small group. Okay, they weren't ever a very large group. They put importance upon the interpretation and the tradition, not just sticking to exactly what the Bible says. So this gets them in the debate with a group like the, Pharisees, like the Sadducees. The Sadducees said, if it wasn't in the Old Testament clearly, we don't buy into it. And one of the things that wasn't really clearly in the Old Testament was the idea of resurrection from the dead. So the Sadducees, we, we learned it this way, maybe you all remember, the Sadducees are Sadducee. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. But the Pharisees, uh, we was to say, they were always into being fair, you see. So they wanted laws that went beyond the laws of the land. Okay? They thought we, the, the Jewish people were in Babylon exile uh, because they hadn't, the Israelites hadn't fail, had failed to keep the Jewish law and kept it rigorously. They felt like the temple was no longer glorifying God. And so the Pharisees really thought... We need to get away from the temple and really make the center of Jewish faith be the household or the local synagogue. Okay, so the Pharisees were in that debate. Sadducees were much more in line with the priests and the scribes. Um, so they were very into Torah keeping. So they wanted to follow the laws, but it's not clear that they were totally legalistic. They just wanted to make sure we didn't slack. So the word they often use, that Paul uses about himself here, is zealous. I want to be zealous. Okay, it's not enough to just believe. I want to believe with some power, with some oomph. I want to live it. 
Okay, I want to I show God that I'm really on board with what he's doing. And so they're, the Pharisees are primarily ethically driven, not theologically driven. It's more about behavior than about your specific beliefs for the Pharisees. So Paul is one of these Pharisees. He's one of these sort of elite thinkers. And, uh, um, but in an interesting sort of connection, he doesn't live in Jerusalem. Okay? He's called Paul of Tarsus. Okay? Tarsus is, uh, is in what is now south-central Turkey. So he would probably go back to Jerusalem from time to time. We know that he spent a lot of time in his youth being trained there. But he, was also, he also lived outside of Jerusalem. He lived outside of the, the, the true Jewish pattern of living and lived in a Jewish community in a Roman city. This means that he was trained in Greek philosophy along with rabbinic teaching. Now, you might say, well, what, we say Greek philosophy, but aren't they the Romans? Yes, the Romans basically took over the Greek Empire. In fact, sometimes we call it the Greco-Roman world. It's very hard to tell what was Greek and what was Roman because the Romans basically took it over. So it's clear from the way Paul makes arguments, it's clear from some of his conversations and acts with different cities that Paul knew uh, who all the Greek philosophers were. Okay? He had been in that world. He understood how Greek thought and Greek argument, and that was a big thing for the Greeks, was how do you make arguments? How do you change people's mind? How do you organize thinking? And Paul was trained in all of that. But Paul was also trained in the best thinking of his time for the Jews. In Acts, we, learned, we heard this name, Gamaliel. Okay? Gamaliel is one of the most important rabbis to have ever lived. Okay? There's lots of books written about this man. Okay? He was just a hugely important Jewish thinker. Because remember, right after this, in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed and Judaism has to get rethought. And it has to, has to become more about the synagogue and the household. And who's at the center of a lot of that Jewish thinking? Gamaliel. And in Acts, it says that, that Paul studied under this guy in his youth. That he would go to Jerusalem and he would sit for weeks and weeks with this man. So Paul is this interesting contrast, right? Jew, he's, he's Jewish, he's Roman. He's a Pharisee, but he lives in the diaspora. He's trained in Greek thought, but he's also trained in the best of Jewish thought. And one more... He's a member of the empire, but also the subordinate. Okay? The Romans had conquered Israel. They had conquered all these lands. And so for Paul, it had to be a, a little bit, uh, he had to be a little bit, you know, in two worlds to be part of that Roman empire, but also be part of the subject, the subjugated, the subordinates. And we think, especially when he writes books like Romans, that he's very aware of this tension and writing for this tension. So Paul was this interesting cocktail of contrasts and conflicts. And, and so when you read Paul, uh, he, he's sometimes a little hard to get, sometimes a little hard to get into, he, he, but that's because of who he was. He was this really complicated character. And scholars over the years have debated about which parts of Paul's background influence which parts of Paul's letters by being, um, with this interesting cocktail in mind, we have to understand that all this stuff going on in Paul, he is not very shy. Okay? He is not very quiet. Okay? What's the word he uses for himself? Zealous. Right? So if you have an idea, you don't sit over on the sideline and sort of ponder it. Okay? If you're zealous, you put it out there. 
and you say it, and you say it strongly. So, when these early followers of the way, that would later be called Christians, start spreading their movement around uh, Jewish territory, Roman territory, Paul responds in a very zealous way. For him, it's impossible to think that the Messiah we're looking for would die, according to the Romans. It's impossible to think that he would then be ascended or leave this world uh, without kicking the Romans out. Okay, And these people are not zealous the way Paul would think they are. And so he responds in a way... To protect the people, to protect the nations. Okay, for him, if if these Jew, if if these Jews who are following this way of Jesus, if they're wrong, it puts us at risk as a people of being in further exile, of getting further away from God. And so the true thing, the zealous thing to do is to shut this down. And so Paul starts threatening, and Paul starts attacking. And uh, this picture is from the stoning of the martyrdom of Saint Stephen the first deacon and the first Christian martyr, okay? Whenever they show these pictures, though, there's always a guy with cloaks at his feet or sort of holding cloaks off to the side. That's Paul, okay? Saul. And he did. He got everybody excited, and he held the cloaks and organized the crowd while they assassinated, while they stoned Stephen. He had to protect people from these blasphemers. He had to protect the reputation of God. And this is where his zealousness ended up. But then something happened to Paul. Another influence came in that, among all these other things, this became the orienting one. Paul was on the road to Damascus on his way to arrest Christians there. He'd gotten permission to take them bound and uh, arrest them. But suddenly he is covered in light, which apparently the people that go with him can't see. And a voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love this line. It's one of my important verses, like one of my life verses. Okay? Because Paul isn't, he's not going after Jesus. He's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the early church. But Jesus so identifies with the church that when he stops Paul, he says, why are you persecuting me? So Paul confesses, who are you, Lord? This is a great line, okay? Like, hey, blinding light, I don't know who you are, but I have a feeling that you're Lord, like, I, I don't know much about you, but I know you get the title of Lord. I'm going to submit. And here is the conflict for Paul. He's a good Jew. He's a Pharisee. He's zealous for God. But the way that he thought to be zealous was not right. Because his zealousness lead, led him away from this man, Jesus, who apparently was God's plan all along. So Paul is blinded. He doesn't get to see the scenery on the rest of the journey because of this blindness. He spends three days uh, just not being able to see, not eating, not drinking, um, until God sends, if you read the rest of the story, which I hope you'll do this week, God sends a man named Ananias to talk to Paul. And Ananias is like, hey, I've heard of this Saul guy. 
he has kind of an argument with God. Like, I'm not sure I want to go see Saul. I've heard about all the things that he's done, but he, he does. Ananias goes, and Paul, instead of hurting him, has something like scales fall off his eyes. And suddenly, Paul can see again. But Paul, though he can see again, he never sees things the same way that he used to. In Galatians, Paul writes that after this conversion, he goes to Arabia. And uh, we don't know what he does in Arabia. We think maybe uh, the only thing that really would have drawn you to Arabia is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place that Moses had gone to see the Lord. It is the place where Elijah had gone to meet with God. And maybe in the midst of this conversion, in this sudden shock to see that Jesus was somehow the answer to God's plans, he goes back to the start. He goes back to the roots. He goes back to Mount Sinai to spend time trying to reflect and wrap his mind around this. So what changed for Paul? Well, he, he, he certainly didn't start out anything like what we would call a saint, right? He's persecuting Christians. And I don't think Paul was trying to start a new religion. I think he actually started to think that Jesus was the answer to all these Jewish questions and all these Jewish stories. But how could Jesus be this fulfillment? This is what we're going to have to wrestle with as we study Paul. If it wasn't about being, being zealous and following the law, but now the people had to deal with this Jesus character, what did that mean? How did Jesus answer the problems of sin and evil that are so prevalent and that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, works so hard to deal with? How could the Messiah deal with the Romans? And why didn't he just kick the Romans out and become the king like maybe they were expecting? It took Saul years to figure this out. It took him a while to get into his thinking. It took him a few years to, to uh, he eventually goes to Jerusalem and uh, the Christians there are understandably hesitant to trust him, right? But eventually he goes back home. Paul then takes 10 years or so living in the city of Tarsus. We assume he was a um, tent maker. That's what, uh, what the Bible tells us he was. That would have been somebody who dealt with, with cloth, normally with bigger cloth. Okay, so think tents, think curtains, okay? think a lot of that repair work, a lot of that building work. That's what Paul did. And for 10 years, he lives in Tarsus. And he had gone to Arabia. So this may be 13 years after his conversion, uh, Paul doesn't do very much. And, and maybe Paul wasn't even going to be a missionary. But then this man named Barnabas is doing work. And he's trying to help these Jewish people understand how Jesus could be for the fulfillment. And he remembers this guy he's met somewhere along the way named Paul or Saul. And he says, you know who would be really good at answering some of these questions is this, this Saul guy. And so he goes and he gets Saul and starts to take him on a journey. And it ends up being the first of several journeys that Paul would go on. The only one he would go on with Barnabas. And what they would do is they would travel into a city, they would go to the Jewish synagogue, and they would talk to the Jewish people about uh, who this Jesus was and why he's the fulfillment. But then eventually, when inevitably they would get kicked out of the synagogue, they would end up going to whoever else would listen, and that would be people who are not Jewish. Paul in his life traveled, we, could, we think, at least 
10,000 miles uh, that Paul traveled in all his missionary journeys, going to uh, no fewer than 40 cities. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And if you're following along in Adam Hamilton's book, like you're going to get lost in all these cities and all these journeys. Um, and in those days, there's not cars, there's not buses, there's not trains. Um, he went through a lot to make all those journeys. They were dangerous. But he risked all to be able to teach, to be able to help people understand who this Jesus was. But, but here's the next question. What did Paul teach? Well, we have some stories from the book of Acts written by a guy named Luke. And, and Luke um, looks like Luke traveled with Paul at some times. Because sometimes when, when Luke's writing, he shifts from Paul went to we went. And so it seems pretty clear Luke was on some of those journeys and we, we get some letters that Paul said. And so we have to sort of piece together, well, what was his thinking? And we're going to do a lot more with this next week in the sermon. But really, here's the big picture. Paul taught that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Jewish hope. Everything that the New Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible was building toward Jesus was the answer. He was the new covenant. We'd had a covenant with Noah and with Adam, with Abraham. We, we had a covenant with David, but now we have the Jesus covenant. That's the next step in all of these covenants. So the law, he said, what, what do we do with all these laws? Well, they could never save anyone. They were always just pointing towards the hope that we have in grace in God. And now we know how that hope comes to be. It's in Jesus, the perfect answer to the law. So what is right? To, what makes us right with God is not how zealous we are or how perfectly we follow the law, but now, how perfectly Christ fulfilled what he was supposed to do. He was the one that was zealous. He was the one that did it all for us. And now, because of grace, we live into that. Now, the tricky part with Paul, and where Paul gets into disagreements with Peter and with other people is, Paul says then that a lot of these Old Testament things were for a time and for a season. We don't have to do them anymore. And not everybody really likes that Paul is saying that. Okay, and not every new convert had to fulfill what the Old Testament called for. In other words, Gentiles could follow Jesus without getting circumcised and with bacon in their hands. Okay? They could do it because those laws didn't mean... Those laws only pointed to the need for Jesus. And now that we had Jesus, we didn't have to follow all those laws the same way anymore. And it was hard for the disciples to come to that conclusion and not everybody agreed and what laws did work and what laws didn't work and we'll have to wrestle with those things. So we know a lot about Paul's life because of his writings but also the writings of Luke. And so Paul is known for his writings. We know that uh, Paul wrote a number of letters. We know that we don't even have all the letters that Paul wrote. Because it's very clear in Corinthians, for example, Paul is referring to a few times letters that he wrote or that they wrote previously. Okay? So whenever we read Paul, and we're going to be dealing with this in Bible study, you have to realize you're reading somebody else's mail. Okay? It was mail written from somebody to somebody at a certain time for a certain reason, and you've got to read his letters like letters. But it became a big part of his ministry because Paul couldn't be in over 40 cities at the same time. So he had to write, and sometimes he wrote churches like Rome that he had never been to, but he was setting the stage to go to. And sometimes he was writing to churches like Galatia and Corinth, 
where he had planted those churches. And uh, by the way, he wasn't happy with some of the things going on in those churches. And so those are, are a little bit harsher letters, but he knew them. It's a little bit different. Some of them are personal. The letter to Philemon, which we will look at it in its entirety in a sermon, was written to tell Philemon, uh, to tell Onesimus, the owner of a slave named Philemon, to accept his slave back. Well, that gets into all kinds of interesting questions about what Paul's view of slaves were and that kind of thing. So we know Paul took letter writing seriously. It was an important part of his ministry on top of all his journeys. Um, and we probably only have a fraction of the letters that he wrote to all these churches. We do know from the letters and from Acts that Paul often got into conflict and into trouble. Okay? We know from 2 Corinthians that Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was whipped. He got into arguments with other Christians like Barnabas and Simon Peter. He got into scuffles with Jews in the temple as well as Gentiles who felt that Paul was messing with their livelihood. Okay? Paul and all his zealousness, again, what well, Paul was not was shy. <laughs> Paul, wherever he went, he spoke his mind. And not everybody likes those kind of people, particularly when what they have in mind is very contrary to what you have in mind. But ultimately, Paul got into conflict with the Romans. Okay? And it's the Romans that really uh, did him in. <clears throat> now, Paul is very subtle in how he does this, but I think a lot of Paul's writings are very opposed to the Roman Empire. So, for instance, the Romans had this phrase. They would say, Caesar is Lord. Okay? And they would say together, Caesar is Lord. Except Paul comes in and he says what? Jesus is Lord. And whenever the Romans would conquer a new land, they would, they would pronounce a euangelion, a good news. And they would run through the town saying, good news. We have good news. Uh, we, we conquered another city. And the early church used this phrase, good news, to talk about the gospel. Hey, we've got good news, but it's different than their good news. <coughs> Eventually, Paul gets in trouble with the Romans. He causes too much of a struggle. And really, in some of his stuff, he is, in his subtle way, speaking against Roman authority. And so Paul was arrested. He was kept in prison. He was forced to give an account for his life. And eventually, Paul is taken at the end of his life to Rome to be tried there. And a uh, very long journey to get to Rome. He writes a number of letters, and he, and he stops a number of places. They're even shipwrecked on his way to Rome. But eventually, Paul is beheaded in Rome. Uh, at least tradition says. The Bible itself doesn't say that. Paul was zealous enough to die for his faith. But his faith wasn't in the law. His faith became a zealous faith in Jesus Christ. So what do we make of Paul? First of all, we've got to say, Paul was one of the most influential people that ever walked this earth. Probably second only to Jesus. Uh, so much of what Paul said about how laws work becomes influential on how modern laws work. Okay? Paul has such a huge impact on how we live and interpret this Christian faith. And Christians over the centuries have had such a big influence on how the world works. Even though Paul was controversial, he's sometimes been called a misogynist and a bigot and a jerk. And we're going to take a whole sermon to wrestle with whether we think Paul was a jerk or not. 
But he was a, he was a person of his time, and he was a person who was not shy. So as you study Paul, and you read Adam Hamilton's book, you may find Paul a little bit hard to deal with. You may get a little lost in all these cities and in all this traveling. And um, I would encourage you to plod through. Keep plodding into Paul, because Paul is hard. He's not easy. Jesus is like so aloof, right, that, that he's a little bit easier to deal with sometimes. And we're a little more familiar with all the Jesus stories. But, but Paul's a little bit harder. But work through it anyway, because Paul has a lot to say. He lived his life as he started it, I think, as a man of contrast. God called him when he was going to persecute Christians. He was an enemy who became a brother, a persecutor who became a follower. The instigator of Stephen's stoning who ends up being a martyr himself. The one who tried to squash the ministry and mission of Jesus ends up becoming maybe its biggest instrument. And here's the cool news for us. If God can use Paul with all his flaws, with all its, his history, with everything that Paul went through, why can't Paul use you and me to say great things as well? well let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, as with so many examples in the Bible, you tend to use imperfect people. Thank you that you do that with us as well. And as we take the next few weeks in a number of different ways to study Paul, Lord, help us to see through Paul to see you and what he wrote and in what he did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.